Welcome back to the often imitated, never duplicated, one penny at a time podcast. I am not your host, Harris Elliott. Harris Elliott is right now underneath a wrestling ring somewhere in parts unknown. And this is Russ with the Dapper Dividends podcast, joined by my good friend, Ryan Williams. And we have commandeered this Right Yacht podcast episode for the one-year special anniversary. Ryan, what do you think about Harris? you think we should uh, should let him out? Well, he's been pretty good so far, but maybe let's let him sweat it out a bit longer. We're taking over this thing. We're here to party, and uh, we're going to have a good time today. All righty, guys. We're going to sell all the stocks. There okay. First of by, all. And by TSLY. Yes. Oh. First of all, why did you lock me under the ring? Second of all, how dare you? I mean, you can hijack the podcast anytime you want. I'm all for that. Uh, everybody, welcome to the one-year special episode of this podcast. It is crazy to think that a lot of people have been listening to this for over a year. Um, the fun fact I always say, 75% of podcasts do not make it past episode seven. We beat the statistic. Russ, you beat the statistic. Ryan, YouTube counts. You beat the statistic too. I'm gonna, we're going to pass it up here. I'll Gentlemen, there you go. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on this very special moment. Um, not, I'm, I get to spend this here with two of my closest buddies in this space, and we're gonna we, we're gonna do an hour here of we have nothing planned. This is a freestyle, just like I Ru- Russ wants his eighty uh, Latino Ooh. freestyle music. We're gonna we're just and gonna have we're Latin gonna jam heat. out, getting the Latin heat from the street with giggles yeah. and uh, all those fine fine. Yeah. Did you ever listen to freestyle, Mister Harris? Absolutely. I still do. <laughs> Cover girls or expose. Everybody wants to know. This is the most important and pressing question that we could possibly come up with an answer right now. What is it? Uh, uh, expose. Beautiful. Okay. Enough of that. Oh, yeah. We won't put you back under the ring with Damien. Okay. There we go. It was getting kind of sweaty down there. So I appreciate it. So gents, um, I know there's like a couple, there's been a lot of news and a lot of news in the market this week, but let's just talk about some other things regarding the market. Any buys this week? How, how is your, how is your guys' buys or sales or things you're looking at for the week? Go ahead, Russ. Slim. I bought one share of Target, one share of Nexstar Media and one share of Vici Properties. So just three little buys. That's it. Not a whole lot going on. I've been getting a lot of alerts this week for Target hitting the 52-week low a couple <laughs> times already. <laughs> it's getting stupid. Uh, actually, the they're, I was looking at NVIDIA because, you know, everybody was talking about <laughs> NVIDIA. And I heard a stat that I'm going to talk about in the newsletter. Kind of brought it back to something I don't look at that often. But I heard that their price to sales was thirty, almost 36 Meaning that you're paying almost $36 for every $1 of NVIDIA's sales, which is insane. So I looked at Target and it's 0.53. So right now you're paying 53 cents for every $1 of Target's uh, sales. Obviously, it's just one little metric. You know, it doesn't tell the whole story. But just on the face of it with those two two wildly different valuations, it's pretty interesting. So I like to think Target's cheap. I've been saying it's in the down, it's clearly in a down cycle right now. And I think we could see it go into the one fifteens and I don't know, some lunatics have bandied about $90 a share. And if we get down there, you know, I'll be buying there too. Yeah. We'll have to see how that plays out with target. Uh, Ryan, what about you? Any buys this week? You know, I kept it even more simple than rusted. I just picked up a couple shares of realty income and called it a week. 
also almost, uh, practically at 52 week lows. And yeah. even though I know for you, I think you're, you still would have been green in that position still, right? Even with the 52 week low. No, man, I'm officially in the red. I think my average cost is about 57 ish dollars and I bought about 56 and a half. So I'm just now touching red. Um, and yeah, I was happy to pick it up for a little bit below my average cost. Isn't it crazy, Ryan, when you started investing that realty income used to be your number one position and then it's how it's kind of averaged out over the years? Yeah, I actually kind of forgot about that. It was, <laughs> it was, um, I think at one point, man, it was maybe 10 or 12% of my portfolio totally by accident. I just, when I first got into investing, I loaded the boat on realty income and, um, yeah, it's kind of, like you said, it's kind of evened out over time. And I think it maybe now it's six or 7% of my portfolio. So definitely a lot more comfortable with that. Yeah. Hey, for um, me, it's 5.8%. I just pulled it up right now. I'm at 5.8%, 147 shares. I want to get to that 150, but yeah, $61.58 is my average. So I'm down 9%, 9% on uh good old, oh. Yeah. So it's funny. The, the two that you have mentioned, uh, Target and Realty Income, those are my top two losers right now in my portfolio <laughs> currently. So it's opportunity. It's tough though, because now it's like I'm tempted to buy Realty Income, but it's 9.7% of my portfolio. And it's like, do I want to, obviously averaging down on it, it's nice, but it's like, do I want that to continue going higher? Where right now, interest rates are still very unsure. And you know, the whole REITs and utilities have just been getting wrecked this entire year. So it's like, how do I want to like keep going with a dropping knife or just trying to be strategic about it? Let me see. Realty income for me, my average cost, $62.90. So at least it's not in the 65 or 66. So I'll take that. So I'm down about almost 11% on that. Target, I'm pulling up Target right now. I know Target, I think I was down about 8 or 9%. If I'm going off the top of my head, I will tell you right now. Um, ooh, actually, no. Uh, it's 12.62. So actually, Target's now the biggest loser. All right. So there you go. Harris, I, I, man, <laughs> I, th I, think, I think you're going to be best off just cut, just do the cut and run with both those positions. Sell both of them, reinvest into something that actually makes sense, like TSLY, a little AGNC, um, you know, some, some good, some actually good stocks. What do you I think, think you should buy some Zim. Yeah. Oh. Okay, guys, Sound I'm, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. This is not financial advice. Please don't <laughs> sue any of us. I'm, this is a disclosure. We are not financial professionals. We are just three guys who love dividends who are sitting in our bedrooms. Russ is in a hotel room, so that's a little bit different. So we're going to put that disclosure out there just in case anybody wants to go after us. Um, <laughs> no, um, I'm not going to sell. I, I, I'm still long in these positions. Um, I, the positions y'all mentioned, I've never had anything in that. I've been curious, not even to invest, but just to see what's been going on with like those, the Tesla one that Microsoft just opened one up, I think yesterday or two days ago, really? Apple, Apple has what I, I just want to see what this is about. I've never even looked into it myself. It's just, uh, the only covered call I have is Jeppy. And I know if Jeppy has been dropping, I mean, it does cause it's not, it's, it's a different kind of dividend, right? Those based off premium collected so it's a very it's a variable dividend for me though it's more about i like i'm okay with the you know what the cost is to hold the fund but then also you know jp morgan is a very reputable financial institution and that's something i don't i know people have been selling out of it i'm fine holding it and just kind of seeing it out jeppy to me is still way too new to really have an opinion on it so i want to give that a couple years who owns the uh, TS? Is that Yield Max? I don't. I think it's, it's yield, yield, right? It's, it's Yield Max. 
I don't know anything about them. I don't even know how long they've been around. You know, I don't it's, either. It's a risk. It's, Essentially, I, the the shtick with the yield max funds is that they they write covered calls. They're not even actual covered calls. They write what are called synthetic covered calls. Um, instead of being writing them on an index or a, a set of different stocks, like some of these other funds do, they'll write it on one individual company. So in the case of TSLY, they'll write these synthetic covered calls on Tesla. Uh, they have one for Apple. I think the ticker is APLY. Mm-hmm. I think they have one for Berkshire Hathaway. They have one for NVIDIA. I don't know if all of these are out on the market yet, but I know they have plans to come out with all of these. But that's the gist with with these funds. And I yeah. think they came out in January. And the yields, I mean, we look at something like the QYLD, XYLD, JEPI, and we think those yields are high because they're, you know, 10, 11, 12%. But these yield max funds just, just like quadruple that. And I'm not even joking. The yields are above 40%. Sometimes I think even above 50%, depending on the month. It's just, it's just crazy. How are they getting that that big gigantic yield? Um, well, like I said, it's it's from writing these synthetic covered calls, so it's options premium. And and I might be a bit wrong on this because I I forget exactly how it works, but I, I think what they'll do is they'll simultaneously, and Harris, if you know, correct me if I'm wrong. They'll simultaneously buy puts on the on on Tesla um, and sell calls at the same time which somehow, and I might have that a little bit wrong, but somehow it replicates ownership of the stock. So they don't actually own Tesla, but somehow through this synthetic covered call strategy, they can replicate that. And And you know um, the beautiful part, those of you listening, like just listen to how he's trying to explain how they do this, which tells me I wouldn't even, when you buy any kind of an ETF, you have to understand the underlying and how they're getting that yield. And if you can't explain and understand exactly how they're getting it, then it's a big risk. It's a big gamble. And like, I, I do the same thing. I start looking into it and I'm like, I really don't understand how they're getting these gigantic yields. And they could also, you know, this is something that funds do is they'll return your cash to you in the form of it. And that's why the share price continually keeps going down. And um, I, I don't, I don't yeah, even know anything it's about complex. it. It's, yeah, it's the, complex. It's complex. The only thing I can tell you is uh, over the last year, it is down 28.49%. So even if you're getting They're probably high... giving your money back to you. <laughs> so it's like, even if you do get a high yield and one thing that I've seen is important, and this is something I learned through like AT&T when I had it and I sold out of it. It's like, how, no, no amount of dividend is going to make up for the capital loss, and that's important to make sure you keep no. capital. You know, if some like Jeppy, Jeppy has been very linear for me. It's practically been at that fifty-four, fifty, fifty-five, fifty. It's staying linear, but if I look at it in a total return, I'm okay with that. So it's like it's just understanding where you're at with the process. I guess is the big thing. Yeah, I think Jeppy, right? That's one that you're buying and understanding you're buying for the the income and not so much as capital appreciation, which can happen. Yep. But but yeah, yeah, you're just buying for the, the income that they're getting through the dividends and through writing the covered calls through the options. So I think it's it's a lot easier to understand. And Ryan, you did yeah. a video on, on Jeppy. Isn't there one other component in there, something they do with cash or... or I remember I watched one of your videos way back when, and there was something I wasn't totally clear on that they're also bolting on to get that that yield. Um, equity link notes. They yes, that's it. They have ends. equity link notes in the portfolio, which which are complex as well. So I definitely won't try and extrapolate on them here, but um, yeah, 
they're they can be complex as well. Yeah. So let's segue here. Um, I think we've. I, I'm not going to lie. I did not expect us to talk about cover call ETFs. This is why I love this. We literally have nothing planned for this episode. This is literally three bros, the three amigos, just having a good time. Because that's this is literally kind of how we talk when we're just goofing off on text message. And this is what I like. So I want to talk about something with you guys. Um, you all been have been building up new positions in your portfolios. Um, Russ, I'll be the first one to say, I'll start off with you next star media. I've asked, if it wasn't for you, I would have never heard of this holding. Give a brief explanation of what this is and where you're at with it, and What's your bull thesis on that? Yeah. So they, uh, digital media company, they have like, uh, television stations, networks, uh, network programming. They have like the CW. So they have free broadcasting and they get money through the revenue through advertisers, um, they're also expanding into something called ATSC 3.0, which is not only like a new standard for a better picture, better sound quality, but it has interactive features. So um, they can tailor uh, programming and commercials and even like sports betting can be a component of that. It's all interactive. And yeah, like the CW is really interesting. They essentially got that puppy for free. And they're just sharing some of the revenue with, I don't remember who they bought it from, but they're really growing it nicely. Uh, they've got sports. So linear TV, they said, is dying. It's a melting ice cube. And the CEO, Perry Sook. So Larry, he said, <laughs> let's not trip over our words here. That's what happens, everybody, when you have 75 thoughts in your brain and they all try and rush into your mouth at once. So linear television is like back in the day. And a lot of you younger people might, might not remember this when you just had to be in front of the TV for something to watch it. So streaming is the opposite of that. But their professional sports is where they're trying to grow the CW into. Uh, they've got live golf, ACC, uh, football, basketball, got NASCAR coming. And they're just really, really trying to expand the business. And also... You know, I've mentioned it before. One of the things that I used to be is more of like a libertarian, uh, you know, political. But I got out of that because it's just pointless to me arguing with people. So now I'm on the side that when you see the ad campaigns that we all got sick and tired of, well, we'll get revenue from that. And with a presidential election next year, uh, uh, Next Star Media is going to get a ton of revenue coming in from all the, the candidates trying to beat each other bloody with their campaign spending and the ads and revenue is going to be pouring into next our media. So uh, I think they've been hurt by the writer's strike and things like that. So it's, I think it's a little bit of a misunderstood business. People think it's a melting ice cube, a dying business, but you know, their CEO founded the company in 1996 and you look for these companies where they have they're still led by the founder and they think like an owner. He's the biggest shareholder. And they also just picked up a new chief of operations who uh, Mike Bayard, I think his name was, he was over at Fox and they kind of want to turn the CW into how Fox was with reality programming and a lot of uh, sports to get that revenue. So um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the quick explanation. Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts to it. And uh, it's become, I think, my second or third largest position. But uh, yeah, happy to keep adding in the 150s and probably working my way to 100 of it. You might so. be the for, you might be the first person I've ever heard is excited now for political campaigns. And now you think about it, though, it's kind of funny how like our minds think. It's now it's like, yes, I'm gonna. This is gonna increase the PE. We're gonna get more revenue. It's, it's crazy though. Uh, how well, many if I could, you have right now? 
if I could quote one of our fellow uh, fellow colleagues, uh, Dividend Dave from the Passive Income Podcast, you turn that cash register around. So we're getting money now from the political campaigns instead of making donations to a campaign. So I kind of like that aspect. And as far as the shares, I have 61 total shares of Nextstar Media right now, which I'm down a little bit on. I'm down 5%. But hey, it's paying me 329 bucks annual income right now. And the beautiful part of it, you know, everybody, we all love their dividend growth. 25% the last five-year CAGR. And their free cash flow payout ratio, their free cash flow machine is at 19, 15% the last 12 months. It's projected to be 19%. So it's it's creeping up a little bit, but they have a ton of free cash flow per share. And that's why I enjoy them. So a little bit of debt, but that's kind of the, uh, the nutshell thesis on why I'm uh, investing in those guys. I, love I have it. spoken. And- I love it. And we are going to turn that cash register around. Ryan, I um, Ryan, I know for you, uh, your, your newest position in your portfolio and the one that you've been really building out since, you know, from, at least from the day when you got it, it's uh, William Sonoma, ticker symbol WSM. And it's an interesting pick, right? Because I know right now it's kind of, I mean, it is retail based, right? At least it's, it's furniture. It's a little bit different. But, you know, with I think right now, you know, I know that with as far as metric wise, you've you've explained it to me and like how they're five years and all that's looking really good. Um, how do you feel like one building it out? What's your bull thesis? And if we were to ever do, actually do hit this recession that we said we've been going to get in the last three years, how do you feel about that holding moving forward? So, just a couple of reasons why I like William Sonoma first and foremost. Um, I mean, I guess one of the potential risks is they operate in a pretty fragmented industry. There's, you know, the there's not like one or two players in the home furnishing space. There's a lot of them, so that could be a potential issue. But William Sonoma is certainly one of the more prominent brands in the space. That it's them, like Restoration Hardware, a um, couple other names as well. I mean, you could even throw Target and Amazon in there, really, as far as retailers go for that. But um, William Sonoma also owns some other very prominent brands like Pottery Barn, which is actually, I I believe, they're generating more sales every year from Pottery Barn uh, than they are from the actual William Sonoma namesake company. But nonetheless, William Sonoma is is still strong. Pottery Barn is a beast. Um, They have some other brands as well, like West Elm. Um, There's another one that I'm forgetting the name of off the top of my head. But by having all these different brands, they're able to cater to customers that have pretty much any sort of taste they can cater to that just aesthetic taste i mean um and also budget as well they can they can accommodate a a wide variety of customers there so i think that's one of their strengths now as far as what's going to happen if we head deeper into into a recession their sales will certainly be affected by that because you know a new couch or something is certainly not or a new set of pots and pans is definitely not a necessity um, so they'll be impacted by that, but just based on their financials, they've got the, the strength to, to write it out. I mean, the company has no debt on their balance sheet, so they're not at any risk of going bankrupt. Um, I think worst case scenario, their, their sales dip, but then when we come out of a recession or when the economy does get better and people loosen their, their wallets a little bit, um, the sales will go back up, I believe. And, and they're pretty dang profitable. Like I said, they have no debt on the balance sheet. Free cash flow is growing, earnings are growing. 
Um, sales are even growing. Um, I think in their most recent order, I'm sorry, I'm kind of bouncing all around. I know that, but in their most recent quarterly earnings call, their revenue was a little bit down, but their operating margin or their their profit margins were expanding. So that's good to see. There's a lot of reasons why I'd like Williams-Sonoma. Like I said, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but um, certainly in the short term, there's going to be some risks, but I think they've got the capacity to write it out. I have a question I if it. I can jump in here. Is it okay? Permission to speak? Um, go time me under the ring and you got this. Go ahead. Oh, uh, their earnings, dude, they jumped like 13% when their earnings came out. And I didn't dig into it. I don't know if you did, if you listen to the call, but just from the headline, it looked like their their revenue and their uh, their earnings were down, right? But um, But their margins improved. So that means that internally they are doing more with less, I guess. But to the tune of like, but didn't they even revise guidance down a little bit? So why the massive jump in one day? Like, what what did I miss? I don't know. I think it, I'm guessing the jump had to do with just their margins expanding. And they did beat on earnings on the earnings estimates, but nonetheless, it's okay. still down year over year. I don't remember the exact number that their revenue is down off the top of my head, but I think it was, man, I think it was close to double digits, if not double digits year over year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I thought the jump was kind of kind of wild. They jumped maybe 14, 15% in one day, something like that. And I mean, I'll take it. I'm not going to not going to, you know, turn that away, but I thought that was kind of interesting as well. So, I don't know. In the short take term, I, I yeah, in the short term, I I you know, I would not be surprised if they have a at least a few more quarters where the sales are down, but um, you know, long term, trying to play the long term, so I think they'll be a, I think they'll be good. So, Ryan, hey, What's up, Brunch? I'm sorry, man. I'm just like I really yeah. am commandeering the show, aren't I? I had a I mean, joke here. You're the new. You're, you're the new host. I'm kidding. I, Go I, for well, it, buddy. It, damn straight. So, <laughs> so we were going to talk. I know because we talked about it before, even though it was supposed to be freestyle. But AI. So I just thought for for you know for a goof, I asked uh, ChatGP to tell me a joke about William Sonoma. So everybody, we've got a ways to go until AI really, really understands people because this is what they told me. Why did the investor go to Williams-Sonoma? Because they heard they had a great deal on stock pots and stock market tips. <laughs> That's so awful. What? Oh, my God. Man, come chat, on, NVIDIA. Chat, Let's... Come on. So, Ryan, um, we're turning that cash register around. Are you going to go purchase some new pots and pans at well, Williams-Sonoma? Um, I actually probably should. I, 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 we just threw out a couple of pans, so I, I'm, I'm in the market for some, so I might have to make a pit stop there. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. I think for me now that the stock that I really need to build out of my portfolio, and I've talked about this with you guys before and made an episode about it, it's on discover financial services. The last month and a half, two months has been brutal for them. So obviously we know with banking, every bank is always going to get some regulatory situation always happens like for me it's that's just how that's just in the nature of the business every bank messes up jp morgan's done it wells fargo and bank of america has done it thousands of times but discover um had two regulatory hits within the like the last couple months their ceo stepped down the stock has been going down but to me my thesis doesn't change on this it is a little scary to look at but right now with how much it's dropped it's it's yielding 3.14%. The fact that uh, Discover yields above three, it's kind of rare. So that's definitely an opportunity to build out on that. But 
look at their their payout ratio is still 17.33%. So even if all this happens, and I know right now a big thing of why Discover on their last earnings call, there is concern about is that their revisions for charge-offs is increased. And that's a big thing of concern with like people not being able to make the minimums on their credit cards. But I'm still going to be long on this. And I think the big thing with Discover and the reason why I love this, it's just not just a credit card. It's the high yield savings account. Student loans are about to get get back into force. But, you know, when you look at Discover, you get they manage their own debt. So they're getting all the ridiculous interest rates onto those. And I told you about this, Russ. So if you watch Caleb Hammer and you watch all the people's debt he audits, how many Discover cards come up on every episode? And that's like, yep, you're literally contributing to the to the earnings onto this. But the big thing for me for Discover is it's that you're getting that processing fee on the card, but then you're getting the debt. It's a it's a riskier play. You know, look at Visa, Mastercard. Their cash flow is ridiculous because they don't really have debt, and it's just their cash flows are going up. But Discover, I really think this is a long-term play and kind of like my random thought into this. If the government ever wanted to make a comment saying, hey, Visa, MasterCard, you guys are way too big for this. Will that give more play to Discover? And that's something I've been thinking about. It can Discover expand more? And we'll see how this goes. I want I definitely need to look into the new CEO. They just had a, a point. Um, but overall, though, if I look at their evaluation, I think it's a really solid, it's on a solid place right now for me to hopefully start building this out even more than what it is. And, and speaking, keeping on with the theme of turning the cash register around. So I just Googled this. The Google machine told me that the standard purchase APR for Discover cards is 17.24% variable to 28.24% variable. <laughs> and as the, oh my God, I almost said late great Warren Buffett. Let's not put him in the, in the pine don't, box yet. Don't put us <laughs> in the doghouse. <laughs> but... He says that it's going to be really hard to get ahead in life paying 28%, paying 17% interest. But like you said, if you're investing in them, they have a current dividend yield of 3.16%. So you're going to be making 3.16% instead of paying 17 to 28%. So always remember that, dear listener, that you don't want to be paying interest. You want to be receiving it. And I'd be willing to bet that right now their their four dividend yield is considerably above the company's five year average yield. A hundred percent. It's crazy. Like right uh, a couple months ago, Discover was one of my biggest winners. It was it was it trading is. in the one twenties. Yeah. It was trading it's in the one twenties. Now it's like in the forty three percent above the five year uh, five year average, which is two point twenty one percent. Target's forward yield right now, I think, is close to fifty percent above the the average, the five year average. It is. I think it, Target's trading at three and a half now, right? As far as like uh, yield wise, three point sixty one, and it is forty nine percent. Look at this guy go forty nine percent above the five year average of two point forty two percent. Or so TGT. for for me, if you want to look at this as an in a dividend yield theory, it's definitely something to take advantage of. It's kind of the same thing with Johnson and Johnson. Anytime I see Johnson and Johnson get to 3% yield, that's a great opportunity for me to try to get a, couple, a little bit of money into there. It's a good advantage to try to take onto that. I know it's not it's not 3% right now, but I know it was like in the 150s. I think that's when it hits 3% yield. 2.86% in their 5-year average is 2.65, so it's about 8% above. So, yeah, you're right, man. 3%, that's probably a good space to uh and they just went above 3% not too long ago. Earlier in the year, I I, I was no. able to get most of my tranche of Johnson and Johnson was in the one fifties. 
like you know in that area when I bought. So, so well, I don't we'll believe uh, I don't so, think either of you guys traded in your Johnson and Johnson shares for Kenview, huh? Nope. No. Yeah, me neither. Nah. Nope. Um, I I am still keeping an eye on Kenview just to see what happens because I like to you know to see. Hey, on the consumer side of it, lifelong lifelong brands, right? You can't knock on that. Um, I, I actually in our cupboard, um, our emergency kit, which we use a lot in this house because I am a klutz. Every time I every time I shave my head, there's always some piece <laughs> of skin missing or blood spatter everywhere. Um, there's literally a Johnson and Johnson emergency kit down there with all of the products, so it's it comes in handy. It's used a lot, so yeah. For Kenview, I mean, it, it's interesting, but I just there's so much more growth potential with the Johnson and Johnson is they're keeping the medical technology, the med tech and the pharmaceuticals. And I think they have like 25, I think 25 names or uh, that are a billion dollars in annual revenue. If I remember that right from what Count Duarto said, like, if you guys don't know, that's my little joke. Uh, Joaquin Duarto, the uh, CEO of Target, he's a Spaniard, but when you listen to him, he just reminds me of uh, the Count from Sesame Street. So, but yeah, that's, I think that's what he said. Love it. Recent news. This this happened yesterday. Um, Vici did not get the Bellagio, which I thought was going to happen. But our good old darling Realty Income did. Let's talk about that. So Realty Income now has a position in the Bellagio, and this is their second gaming property. Um, the win. Where was the where is where in the win was it that they have the first one in Boston? Boston. Boston. Boston Harbor. So right now, if we if we went back to 2020, big the big thing for Vegas is like, how is Vegas going to survive? That was a big that was a topic back then because you know Vegas obviously is tourism. If no people are coming into Vegas, nobody has jobs. Nothing keeps open. You know, tourism is the heart of Las Vegas. What what do you guys think about this purchase with Realty Income, and where do you how do you guys see this maybe panning out for maybe more acquisitions in the future? Well, let the Vegas guy go first. Yeah, I mean, I have a few thoughts on it. Um, Before we hopped on this call, I I went through the presentation that actually Russ sent us. Mm -hmm. Just look through it, and it seems like the numbers make sense. I think between the debt and the amount of income that they're making on the deal, I think there's like a 4% spread between the two. So it it seems to work in their favor there. Um, I think there's 26 years less on the lease for for Marriott to, to be the operator at the Bellagio. So that's good. Um, and as far as the debt goes, I think the interest rate on on the on the debt here Wait, was Marriott like three, or MGM. Uh, MGM. I thought I. You said Marriott. So, I was confused. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Um, no, Marriott was a casino operator. Sorry, I, they might be. They might be. I'm uh, anyway, taking a, I'm, I'm taking a look here. I didn't realize the Bellagio is so close to the T-Mobile Arena, which obviously that's. I've told you that the sports is my big bull thesis for everything in Las Vegas right now. Yeah. Uh, well, that was the next thing I was going to say. The Bellagio is like, you can't, as far as location goes, it, you can't get any better than where the Bellagio is at. It is dead center strip. Um, it's probably my favorite property on the strip. It's between that. I think the win is very pretty as well. That win Bellagio Caesar's palace, probably the top three in my, in my opinion. I know Russ likes the Venetian. That one's up there too. <laughs> Yeah. But overall, well, it seems like a it seems like a good move. I mean, moving into gaming, especially in Vegas, has worked pretty well for Vici. So I don't blame Realty Income for wanting a piece yeah. of that. 
this is kind of a good timing too because guess where the Super Bowl is in February? Right. Las Vegas. So we all know that that stadium is just it for not only this Super Bowl, it's the first one they're going to do in Vegas, but that's going to be a hot spot to to keep continue bringing the Super Bowl. Cuz think about all these other outside activities you can do uh event-wise cuz that's always a big thing that the NFL really focuses on when they're it's obviously weather. Weather's one of the main things. It's February is usually cold. But all the all the things they can do aside to build out this to be a magn- a magnificent event. You know, they 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 they'll do concerts. They'll do all these meet and greets and all these other events. And this is this is kind of the right time to really get into Vegas now with the sports expanding there. Uh, NHL won the Stanley Cup there this year. And I'm I'm telling you, my I've I've thrown this out there a lot. Whenever LeBron James retires, I have a feeling that he would be either in ownership or the main ownership for a Las Vegas team. I have a feeling he's a businessman. He has so much money to play around with. I think that's something that's going to happen for the NBA. It could definitely wouldn't surprise me, man. The thing about Vegas is there's always there's always something new going on. There's always they're always trying to do more things to to keep to to get people to come to town. And I mean, you need a few different coming, right? Formula One. That's that's been a pretty bittersweet thing, I think, amongst the locals here. It's uh, it's created some just really crazy traffic, and I think they're doing. I think from what I've read, that F one is trying to charge a lot of the businesses on the strip um, some sort of fee to not block the property during the race. So I don't know. It's I don't. I read a little bit about it. I'm not super well versed on it, but Russ, I. I was going to go back to the Marriott thing. So I read something. This is why I said Marriott. So I'm reading something from Marriott that says of this, this is from July too, of the 17 MGM resorts that will join MGM collection with Marriott Bonvoy. So there's a partnership between the two um, that include Bellagio, the Aria and Park MGM, as well as the Cosmo. So there seems like there's a partnership there. Okay. Well, I that makes the Cosmo. Then, yeah. Uh, the first time I ever went to Vegas back in 2015, I stayed at the Cosmo. That was like a, I I remember being in the lobby and seeing how like they had the screen, like all these LED screens with like the the books in the library moving. I I, I felt like I was in the Harry Potter for a second, to be completely honest, the way that was moving. But yeah, that was a very nice hotel, very expensive hotel, but very nice. <laughs> what do you think about it, Russ? I'm not surprised. Uh, I listened to their earnings calls and CEO Sumit Roy. He's said they're going to look for opportunities, and if something makes sense, they're going to go after it. And obviously, they wanted to be more into gaming. So I I, I find it curious that Vici passed on this, and I, I'd love to know their reason why. Um, yeah, I mean, you would have thought Vici would have been the, you know, they got the stranglehold on the Las Vegas Strip, but yeah. I think it's good. I mean, we're, we're going to have to see how how much was left on that. Uh, that's what's three point forty seven percent for six years. Six years. Six years. Yeah, I think six six years left. So, you know, we'll see in six years where interest rates are at. Hopefully, they're going to start cutting them by then. So it's it's yeah. neither a positive or a negative right now until we know, you know how how. But yeah, I mean, overall, uh, I'm still buying realty income. You know. Uh, trickling it in here and there, but it's just all the REITs, I think, right, have been crushed because of the high interest rates and income investors fleeing the REITs and, you know, not wanting to deal with the equity risk. So they've had a lot of headwinds too. And then the commercial real estate, which 
realty income isn't that overexposed to because they just spun off uh, when they merged with Verite, they spun off uh, Orion Offers Properties, ONL. Uh, so they literally like, I think maybe saw the writing on the wall and spun off all their office properties. But yeah, it's just a really well-managed company and I'm not surprised, but they're getting really big. I think 50 billion in assets or something is, is realty income. So they're huge and they're just looking for more growth and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a 21% joint venture with uh, Blackstone's BREIT and mm-hmm. also uh, I think 5% for MGM as uh, is, is partial owner of their own property, I think is how that went. But, you know, just one more uh, one more arrow in the quiver of realty income to keep uh, bringing value to the shareholders. Yeah, I think I read that this was the third transaction of theirs, the third acquisition that was over $900 million just this year. So it was either just yeah, this did. year or in the last in the last 365 days, one of the two, but either way. Yeah, they, they got a whole bunch of convenience stores in Europe, mainly in England, and they got some here. It's like ES, oh, I don't remember, ES something was the, uh, yeah. the convenience store thing. But yeah, I mean, they're just, they're all over the place, man. They're trying to go, yeah, and that could be good and bad, Try, but, you know, getting out of your wheelhouse. I mean, but it's at least real estate somewhat different. I mean, it's not like, you know, AT&T trying to buy uh, Warner Brothers and, and, you know, that whole, how wonderful that worked out for us shareholders. But man, I'm going to, I'm going to love being able to, I'm going to love being able to walk through the Bellagio, just knowing walking through the conservatory over at the Mayfair Supper Club, maybe um, little Sedell's for breakfast and just looking around saying, yeah, I own this place. So oh, yeah. just go sit that in and say, I'm, it's okay. I own this. I'm an owner here. I can make myself food and do whatever I want here. So yeah. So where's the that... keys to my suite? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that means that, you know, you know, us um, sidetracking here. Um, we've <laughs> actually, all three of us have been planning a Vegas trip to meet. Well, one, go visit Ryan, but two, yep. just go meet up in person and actually do that. And you know what? We should go to all these properties and just start going that we own it and just start, you know, walking around like, oh, I must say that this building is awfully nice. I'm in. I'm in. You know, it's a funny thing I wanted to tell you guys. I was going to tell you before, but for those of you listening, I was doing some research and I've read that because the demand is starting to drop off for domestic travel that airlines, the best time to look is 30 to 45 days before you go somewhere to get the absolute best rate. So that's that kind of stinks because it puts it really close. But uh, yeah, so we'll see. That's a little tip out, hot tip out there, travel tip for all y'all. Either you know way, we got to we gotta make sure we take rest to the stage, do- stage door casino. That's oh, a spot. It's cheapest food on the strip, baby. <laughs> what, I've, there you go. what I've seen. You know Sorry, Harris, crazy? what were you going to say, man? You know what's crazy? You know, I mean, most of the REITs have been getting destroyed this year. I mean, you know, oh, let's just not talk. I mean, we talk about it because we're excited, but O has been getting beaten down. Um, Vici, um, I'm down about maybe like, well, like maybe 3%. Stag is, I'm actually up 12% on Stag. And that's the one that I would have not thought going into it. And I know the biggest knock on Stag, it is a monthly payer. There is no dividend growth practically. It's been paying twelve cents a month, every, you know, all every month for like the past couple of years. But it's it's been performing really well for me, and that's something I would have not expected going into the year, holding up like that. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes. I'm I I to, I've told you guys my thesis on Stag. 
I would not sell out of it until 2027 if I'm ever going to sell out of it to see how e-commerce keeps growing. Mm. Um, 2020 uh, e-commerce uh, sales were at seven trillion. By the end of 2027, the projected is 27 trillion. So I want to see how many more facilities are going to keep building because of that growth for you know for just the need. Everybody's is going more online, and I've that's the reason why I won't sell Stag until then if I were to ever sell it. Yeah, no, that makes sense, man. And I think DLR has been doing pretty well this year too, hasn't it? I think it's up. Um, I, I can double check for you right now. I don't have DLR. Yeah, I, I sold Stag because I only had a dozen shares or so, but it was just that dividend growth. I mean, yeah, you know, I'd like yeah. to see management really com- commit to to returning more to shareholders. I mean, 3% 10-year CAGR, and their last raise was 0.7% in January. So it's just yeah. microscopic. DLR has yeah, been flat over the, the last year. So, I mean, oh. if you look at it on a REIT standard, it's not bad, right? Because everything else has been getting wrecked. Mm. But yeah, sometimes, you know, it's... It's crazy how the one that, for me at least, that has no dividend growth has been doing the best. It's kind of weird. I don't know. So kind of on the topic of e-commerce, kind of, sort of, but there's just the digital space. Um, there's one company that I just started looking at a couple days ago. I still, like, I'm still very fresh into looking at it. So still have a lot to learn. But the company is called Shutterstock. The ticker symbol is SSTK. Have you guys heard of this company? I've heard of Shutterstock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my uh, yeah. my sister in law. When every time we take a family trip, she goes to Shutterstock and gets these books made. And from what I hear, they're expensive. They're beautiful. It's like a hardcover, glossy page. Like you you build it in their in their website. You know, you upload all your pictures and you can put words and you put the picture what page you want where and you you design the layout and then they print it and then they ship it. So um, they get one and then we always give one to my mother and father in law as like a Christmas gift. And I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful books. So yeah, I, I've, I have heard of uh, Shutterstock. And- so in addition to that, what Shutterstock is primarily, what they primarily do is stock imagery, stock videos, stock sounds, kind of like something like Motion Array or Pexels.com, which Russ, I know we use a lot, Epidemic Sound. It's, it's, it's that sort of stuff. Um, but anyway, it's a lot of stock stock content. And the financials look really good. I think you guys would would actually uh, be into it just looking at the income statement and the balance sheet and the statement of cash flows. But just to give you some some an idea of who their customers are, it's a lot of really big companies. Paramount, Warner Brothers, Universal Pictures, Columbia Pictures, Amazon, Google, Meta, OpenAI, LG, Unilever, Pepsi, Target, Netflix, Microsoft, HBO Max. Um, who else we got here? We've got the US Open, Screen Actors Guild. Premier League, Condé Nast, New York Times, Disney, <laughs> Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, Rihanna, Hearst Publishing, NBC, Daily Mail, and Staples are just some of their customers. And so, Dividends Podcast. If people, if these <laughs> these big companies and and even a lot of us in the creator economy who make videos and podcasts and music, um, if we need stock footage or or visuals or sounds, um, Shutterstock is one of the go to places. Thank you for reminding me about this, man. Like I'm just, while you were, you know, spewing out the facts there, it's, uh, it looks like they have no long-term debt if I'm reading that right. Yeah, I don't. That's right, man. I don't don't see any long-term debt. Their free cash flow payout ratio has just gone from 36% in 2022 and they're projected to be 9% the next 12 months. 
and their dividend growth, the, they had a 14% dividend increase last. And they just, yeah, shares outstanding. They, they'll they add some and then buy back, then add some and then buy back. But sales have just, yeah, everything looks really, really solid with them. And uh, thank you for reminding us about them, man. Yeah. It's, uh, and the market cap's really small. I think it's only about a billion and a half. So there's still so a lot a of, so lot of a room for this company to grow. It's a mid cap, right? At one billion. Small cap, small cap. Yeah. Still considered so, a small cap. Yeah. Well, at least that's what I'm seeing here. So they're mm. telling me on uh, simply safe dividends, and we know they can't be wrong about anything. So <laughs> that's really good, man. I, you know, that one came up a long time ago. I was doing some research, and that was on one of my screens, and I was like, "Wow, I didn't a I didn't even know they were a business uh, or a publicly traded company, and b I didn't know they paid a dividend." And I looked into it, and then just kind of forgot about it. So. That's awesome, dude. That looks. I'm gonna do a lot more digging. I might, uh, might have to yeah. go into that one there. And yeah. I mean, just look at the valuation too, and the movement of movement of the share price. It's been hit pretty hard, which I haven't done enough research yet to to figure out exactly why. But um, this one has definitely caught my eye, and it's one that I'm gonna be looking into um a bit further because it seems like a really good grab. And similar to what you were saying, Harris, on, in terms of e-commerce, just being um, a lot of growth in that industry over the next handful of years, the creator economy, people making videos and podcasts and whatever, uh, that's going to be expanding quite considerably as well. So I mean, uh, right definitely now, a lot of growth, growth tailwinds for this particular company. With, co- with content creation in general, and I'm, I'm going to think, I'm just going to go outside of like finance, right? Yeah. I mean, have you seen like these teenage, like, these kids and teenagers who make all this video game content, how much money they make a year just from t- streaming on Twitch or streaming on anything like that? There's there's 13 year olds making six figures a year just playing the video game. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy, man. You know what? Um, one of the things my father always told me, he says, the biggest regret I, d- I did with you growing up was not making you kick a football to see if you can make it as a punter in college or make it to the NFL. If I ever have a kid, I'm just going to make them start playing video games right off the bat and see if they can just make six figures at age 10. Well, I'm sure you won't have to twist his arm too much to do that. I don't well, know. If we could only figure out how my daughters can get paid for watching TikTok, I'll be a happy father because that's <laughs> the one bugaboo that we have. I'm like, you're consuming content. Create something. It's okay to consume a little, but on net, and they don't want to hear it. I'm like, on net, you got to create more than you can consume. I think is how I say it. Yeah, kids these so, days. Let me. Let future me ask ain't you what it used to be, fellas. Let me. Let me ask you this, guys. You'll give her a quote. <laughs> this week, uh, Foot Locker suspended the dividend. We're not going to go deep into Foot Locker because I I can't even tell you when was the last time I went into a Foot Locker. Hawaiian Electric with all of their. I mean, Hawaii. That whole thing they suspended the dividend, but that's just a whole other can of worms that they're getting. Oh, did they suspend the it? I didn't see that. They did. Um, what company do you think is going to be the next cutter suspend? Maybe 3M. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. I've said that they're going to be the cut, but they're going to disguise it in the spinoff. So they're spinning off their consumer healthcare business, kind of like Johnson and Johnson did. Mm-hmm. But, uh, from what you look at, if you add the spinoff plus the remaining dividend from Kenview and J and J, like they call it remaining whole, so you add that together, you're still getting the same dividend or more pre-spinoff. But I think like AT&T did, so that was a cut because they spun off Warner Brothers Discovery. They don't pay a dividend. We got those shares. They reduced the dividend, so it was a cut. 
But I think that 3M is going to do that. They're going to use this to cut the dividend. They're going to say, well, we spun off consumer health and they probably will pay a dividend. But if you add the two together, like pro forma, it probably won't be, um, it probably won't make uh, dividend investors whole. So I think, uh, yeah, that's probably the easy, uh, easiest one right there for sure. Do you guys still hold your Warner Brothers Discovery shares? No, I have, I have a few. <laughs> I think I sold those out the day, sold out of those the day I got them. Well, that was, oh, that, dude, that, was, that, was that was definitely a good decision. <laughs> I, that I kind of... was stupid, stupid, stupid. I was remember it was got up right at like around twenty seven a share, mm-hmm. and I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bow out of this at thirty. That's my number thirty, and then the damn thing just keeps falling. So, and I'm stubborn, and I'm like, well, it's gonna get to twenty, right? It was at twenty seven. That, Smart that's man. The, you know what? I, and I and I'm gonna tie this into the psychology of money. And my the most impactful chapter for me from that book, when is enough? And that's a big thing I think that we can do as investors. It's like you get that FOMO. It's like, can this get to 30? If, if you're trying to get out of it, it's like sometimes you gotta just look at it. Okay, I have a 20% gain. Can I live with that right now? And I think that's that to me is the most important thing I got out of the psychology of money. It's just understanding when it's like what what is enough for you and not comparing yourself to others in their journey because 20% for me could be a landslide but 20% for everything I don't care about 20% like what for you is is that enough for you and I think that's where you need to really maybe for investing in general it could be with your dividend income it can be with your total return it could be with anything in life to be honest and that chapter for me I've read I've gone back to that chapter multiple times of how impactful it's been to my thought process as an investor, just anything in life. That's true, man. I think, um, I think a lot of times bear with me as I try and explain this, but you know, there's, there's so much talk about trying to beat the market. And then, you know, if you've been investing for any length of time, really, you'll know that most people do not beat the market. Even most professional fund managers, over 90% of them do not beat the market. I'm not beating the market. Um, Just disclaimer, I am not beating the market this year. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, that's kind of the benchmark that we use to, that's often used rather to determine success as an investor. But I will say one of the good things about dividend investing specifically is that there is another, I guess, metric that we can use to, to gauge success. And that's our dividend income. You know, for, for most of us dividend investors, the goal is to not like we're not trying to beat the market. We're just trying to we're just trying to like quit our job and make some passive income and, and quit our job through through that. And so I think over time, as as long as your income's growing and you know you're not losing a tremendous amount of money, you know, in terms just in terms of share price, um, you know, I think I think you're making strides and making progress there, and that's really what it's all about. It's like hundred um, percent. It's 100%. like sorry, sorry, dude. One last thing on, on this. Uh, it's like. When I think about it, I compare it to like weightlifting. Is I always have a weightlifting analogy when it comes to investing, but okay. it's like anyone who gets into lifting weights. Like not everyone's trying to be Mister Olympia. Some people just want to, you know, build some muscle and and do it because because they enjoy it. It's not it's not always about beating the best and reaching the, you know, being the next Warren Buffett. Agreed. And man, I, I need to, I need to work on my leg day. And now that you're kind of mentioning that I, I I'm slacking on all the leg, all, leg day, calf day, all that I'm slacking. So I need to, I need to, I need to step that up. I'm going to just put that out there. The first exercise advice I think I've given on this podcast. Also, this is not exercise advice. We're not exercise advisors. 
Ryan, I, I would trust Ryan's advice. Don't trust mine on that topic. Dude, anytime you want to talk working out or whatever, I'm, I'd love to chat. I love that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I was just going to build on that with the whole never enough, dude. It's just, you'll never have enough. And I've, uh, you know, I love psychology and just as human beings, we always want increase and we're always going to have to fight that urge of looking at what, you know, our fellow animals have and wanting what they have and thinking we need it too. So it's, it's just, I don't know, probably the, the way I would sum it up is what I'm working on is trying to create the life that I want and not letting life happen to me. And I think that's what a lot of where I was brought up in the lower middle class is a lot of people just life happens to them and you don't, uh, try to create the life that you want and build the life that you want and work toward it. And I love it when I get it in the comments, people will say like, yeah, bro, but are you beating the S and P? And I'm like, but that's not the game I'm playing. The game I'm playing is to be getting a lot of passive income coming in. And right now with three portfolios, we share on the channel, I have a yield on cost combined of 4.83%. And I don't even know, I don't even think the S and P is 2% right now. So it's yeah, it's, it's the whole thing. Like it's easy to look back and say like, well, if I would have just invested in the S and P, but like I said, the game is for me is to hopefully we change, make small tweaks and, and whatnot, but to always to not have to touch the principal and to live off the interest and keep that interest growing is what I want to do. So. Absolutely. And that's just, that's the name. Everybody has a different point of view. And then one thing that for me, I know like the whole fire movement, retire early. And I've told you guys this, I actually love my career. I don't want to stop working right now. I, I mean, I'm 31. I got a long way to go, but I don't want to retire early. And I think my mindset has kind of went to having dividends help supplement just the income, whether it's like, do we, hey, this month we have a big house project. Do we want to pull from the interest for that one month? That just not, you know, there's just so many ways that, you can open up. Do we want to take a trip and just literally not have to touch anything? And just, there's just so many doors that opens up. And obviously now, right now, I mean, yearly, I'm, I just cracked over 300 and nothing we're getting there. Right. Um, I think for me, I'm going to give you all a high five when um, my Starbucks dividend can get me a free coffee. I'm going to work on that now. Starbucks is in the red for me now. So I'm going to work on that now, but it's like, for me, it's all about those little milestones I can now get a free cup from Starbucks and it sounds so stupid. And it's like, wow, that's what you're excited for. But those little milestones get there first. It's like that one cup of Starbucks. Then it's like the, the, the fancy Starbucks mugs that have all the cities on them. Now I can get a free one of that. Then it moves up to getting the coffee, the mug and the pastry. We're going really big there. And it's just building that up. And SCHD right now I'm projected to get, I mean, depending on what the payout's going to be, but it's going to be in the 20 something dollar range for me. And that's the first time I've been able to get 20 something bucks from a holding. No, it's not a lot, but it's just those moment, those little milestones that keep, keep me going. Right. Yeah. Dude, no, ex ab this is why I never for you guys, whoever's <laughs> listening to this, never, ever listen to somebody that's going to say, ah, oh, dude, you're only getting, you know, 300 bucks and dividend income well you can't get three thousand without three hundred and you can't get three hundred thousand without three thousand so it's just taking steps and you got to start somewhere right because the boring happens in the beginning when you get that compounding effect that dividend snowball like ryan talked about in his 
big banger of a video. You got to get the boring going now, because if you don't do the boring now, you're going to do the boring later. So let's get the boring out of the way right now, right? And hopefully we haven't been boring. I mean, hopefully not. I mean, the people people here are probably calling 911 thinking that I'm actually locked in a ring in the basement. So, <laughs> Damien, you didn't even get my reference. You got my reference, right? Hi, Damien? Who's Damien? He used to be under the ring. He was our lizard. Uh, I don't know, lizard. Jake the Snake Snake. There was 79 oh, oh, Damien's. Oh, oh, my God. He used yeah, to keep yeah, it under yeah. the ring. You know what? I didn't think about Damien. I forgot Damien used to be on the ring. So, Ryan, it's a it's a giant snake that this wrestler actually had. He nah. was trained to handle snakes. But then one of the – oh, my God. Here we go. It's another wrestling reference. I'm sure people are so sick of hearing wrestling references. Mine are so I, sparse, dude. I gotta, I'm <laughs> stretching here, so right. I got one. I'm so the, la- the last thing here I'll, – I'll, very brief wrestling and listeners, thank you for putting up all my wrestling crap. I appreciate it. Um, one of the famous scenes in the 90s was Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth's wedding. There was a, you know, the wedding, and before that, also, there was a time where Macho Man was tied up in the ring, and Jake the Snake was holding the snake and pointing at Macho Man. The snake actually went and bit him, and that wasn't scripted. And they're just trying to play this off, like this is part of the show. Luckily, the snake, they took off like the poisonous, like the, the poison out of the fangs were, were removed because it was like a domesticated snake, but that bite was completely unscripted. And you can't script an animal, right? Animal's going to have a mind of its own. That's enough You're wrestling an talk. That's enough wrestling talk. I mean, <laughs> with the last episode with Lanny, I, I, I couldn't, I, I lost count of how many wrestling references me and Lanny had on that episode. My God, that was, that was a lot of fun. Guys, we're almost at the end here. Um, we, wow. th- th- this is what's been great though. We, I think, I think before the episode started, I said, Hey Russ, can you just do a really fun intro and see how this goes? And everything else was just, just from about off the top of the old noggin. And I feel like with us as creators and not only creators, but also friends, it's really, you know, sometimes in the space to be able to naturally flow with people like this without really having planned anything. It just shows that I appreciate having you guys as friends. And that's what's bad to me. This is going to be the lesson from here. I appreciate having you guys being part of my life and my journey and just being friends. Right. And um, the other day um, I got so excited when Russ was texting me about wrestling toys and Ryan, you're texting me here about, peanut being a bad boy you know it's just it's, oh, it's dude we we talked on the phone for like almost an hour a couple weeks ago yeah because we were talking we, we we talked about some random thing happened with the podcast and then we just started you know sidetracking it but and now we're here talking about maybe put, setting up our in real life meetup and that's going to be a lot of fun content we'll be able to come up with for the gram and for the, the the X or the tweet, whatever you want to call it, and for the news, our newsletters, and then for shorts and for the whatever, whatever content we want to make with this. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel the same, man. Super, super fortunate to be able to do this with you guys. It's pretty, it's pretty cool that this super niche, small thing that no one else on earth is really interested in. It's pretty cool that we've we've been able to come together and over this and uh, you know. It's just a really cool thing. Russ always talks about it too. Like the best part of being able to make these videos and, and do this stuff is is the people that you meet along the way. So um, we're definitely fortunate to have have each other and also have such a strong community of, of people who are also investors. It's just a really positive group of people. Agreed. I wiped the tears from my eyes. It's the tearjerker now. You know what I actually? You know what I just thought about. Right now, we all each of us live in a city that's really hot to come visit. I'm in Austin. Russ, you're in Chicago. 
Ryan, you're in Vegas, so we could technically just bounce around here if we really wanted to. <laughs> well, we're going to get we... cold. We won't. Well, it's just right now. I mean, it's you know, I not going to be like all... this in January. I thought you were going to say we could all take our shirts off to, to cool off a little bit. <laughs> no, uh, oh, dude, you're going to uh, get my wife. She talks about, she always says, topless investing. I was like, I think that's going to attract the wrong kind of uh, crowd doing topless that, investing. And we can finally see Russ's nipple rings. <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, we just hit the, the top of the hour here. Um, thank you guys so much for just joining me for this one year celebration. Um, show notes below going to have all of uh, Russ's social media, YouTube podcast, Ryan, we're going to put up your website, your YouTube. They both have newsletters. Uh, Ryan's comes out every Thursday. Russ's comes out every Sunday. Take a read, find some good information into that. Watch their videos, listen to the podcast, go, follow us on social media, follow us through carrier pigeon. One thing we're going to do here is like, we always like to talk about whether you're, investing in that future saving for yourself or investing in a lot of dividend stocks and non-dividend stocks too because it's okay to invest in non-dividend stocks you'll reach that goal one penny at a time and we will see you on the next one